0: Before the break, we spent, first, uh, spent some time reviewing what we studied last week in First Corinthians 10, verses 23 through chapter 11, verse 1. But we indicated that the message of the section is that you should use your freedom in Christ in such a way to advance the spiritual needs of others. We also indicated that there are several responsibilities three specifically, based on this passage that we have towards the message. And the first if if we review is that you should understand that not everything you have right to do helps others spiritually, but that you are required to seek the good of others. The second is that you should understand that your use of your freedom is not absolute. So you need to adapt it or adapt its application. So this requires that you know when to use your freedom, of course in a positive way or positively presented. Uh, it is the case where you use God's provisions that in ordinary usage are not in of themselves sinful that you do not you use it but you use it in such a way as not to impact your witness or testimony to an unbeliever now negatively we say that you do not use your freedom when your faith is challenged when the Christian faith is challenged so in our passage here we indicated it is when an unbeliever uh, who is a host informs a believer guest of the source of the meat. So a believer should not eat when it says from idols. Now, so we also looked at the believer's reasons for doing so, why he must do so. The first one, of course, is the clarity regarding the authenticity of the Christian faith. The second is the conscience of the unbeliever. Now that led to two objections of the instruction not to eat meat. So the first is, is believers' freedom in Christ should not be determined by the conscience of another. The second, that no reason to criticize the believer because that believer offered prayer for that food. Third reason, which is really where we began in the first half Which is this That God's glory supersedes any human freedom in Christ This is derived from verse 31 of 1 Corinthians chapter 10 That says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do Do it to the glory of God Now this third reason is, uh, that was given but it also gives us a general guideline for believers' action on this planet. Which is to put God's glory above everything else on this planet. Now this guideline requires understand understand what is meant by uh, the clause whatever you do and what it means by the glory of God. Now, so the uh, thing that we looked at, the sentence, when it says, whatever you do, we said it's concerned with every activity of life on this planet. We also say we cannot possibly list all the activities that you can go through. But we are able to categorize them into general two categories, physical and spiritual. Now, the physical activities were further subdivided or classified as consisting of uh, activities carried in the home or outside the home. And I also included activities that involve raising children and doing marriage. And I explain why I use the expression doing marriage. Because, of course... It involves daily interaction between husband and wife and their sexual relationship, as expounded in 1 Corinthians chapter seven that we studied in detail. So we did all that, and then then I went ahead to uh, explain the activities, the spiritual activities that we said there are seven, at least seven. Spiritual activities you should do as a believer. Four of them we gather from the uh, activities of the early church. The first was studying the word of God under one with authority to teach it. Second, we looked at fellowship with other believers. Third, we looked at involvement in love. Meal and followed by the Lord's Supper. The fourth was praying. So the fifth, we mentioned, was witnessing. The uh, sixth was giving. Seventh was singing. So, with this, uh, we started to consider then the question of what the glory of God means. So, it is with that we say, What is this? Uh, what does it mean by? We say, The glory of God. What does that mean? I said, Well, to answer that, we answer for another question first, which is, what is glory? So we began to examine the Greek word that translated glory in the English. The very first meaning I told you of the Greek word, doxa, is honor and prestige, as given in John 7 verse 18. And that's where we begin our second session. John 7 verse 18 reads, He who speaks on his own Does so to gain honor for himself But he who works for the honor of The one who sent him Is a man of truth There is nothing false about him Now the Greek word May refer to a state of being magnificent And so means Splendor Greatness So the word is used to describe the greatness Or the splendor Of the kingdom of this world That Satan Offered to Jesus Christ During his temptation In Luke chapter 4 verse 6 Luke Chapter 4 verse 6 Luke chapter 4 verse 6 6 reads And he said to him I will give you all the authority and splendor. For it has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. <laughs> now here is the thing. I, I, I was reading something this week, and I, I just laughed. See how the devil can deceive people. Somebody said, well, the reason I quit Christianity. And I said, you, you wasn't a believer to begin with anyway. Is because of, you know, all that they did and teach and all that and preach against and all that. He says, since I I quit Christianity, I've been prospering. I say, really? You have? I mean, is he? Well, he is prospering based on this thing. Satan says, he has been given to me. I give it to anyone I want to. Of course, ultimately, it's from God. But that's intermediate agent that God uses. So, here, that's why he said, I can give it to whoever I want to. So that's why I say, many times, just because you prosper doesn't mean that you're in good shape with God. Don't even don't kid yourself with that. It's not the true measure. Anyway, so the Greek word can also mean the condition of being bright or shining, hence means brightness against splendor or radiance. radiance. Now in a physical sense, the word is used to describe the brightness of light that blinded Apostle Paul when Jesus appeared to him on his way to Damascus to uh, persecute Christians according to Acts chapter 9, I mean Acts 22 verse 11. Acts chapter 22 verse 11. Acts chapter 22 verse 11 it reads my companions led me by the hand to Damascus because the brilliance that's are, the brilliance of the light have landed me now under this meaning of shining we have the concepts of reflection of something so the word may Mean also praise, praise, as it is used to describe what believers should bring to, glo- uh, to God when they accept each other in Christ, or as Christ accepted us in Romans chapter fifteen, verse seven. Romans. Chapter 15, verse 7 reads Accept one another, then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. That word praise here, yeah, us. Now, in our passage of 1 Corinthians 10:1, the word means glory as a state of high honor or praise. Now that aside, the question is to understand what the Apostle meant in the phrase glory of God in 1 Corinthians 10.31. Now that phrase glory of God is one really that is used in different ways in the scripture. So let us explore this phrase a little bit. Now the psalmist says that the heavens declare the glory of God In Psalm nineteen, verse one. Psalms, Psalm, chapter nineteen, verse one. Here it says, it reads, Psalm nineteen, one reads, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hands. Now, here the phrase, glory of God, refers to God's power, greatness, and majesty that are manifest in the created universe. Now, Solomon used the phrase to indicate that God acts in a mysterious way, in a sense, as we read in Proverbs. Chapter twenty five, verse two Proverbs, Proverbs, Chapter twenty five, verse two. It is. it is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search out a matter is the glory of kings. Now that phrase, the glory of God here refers to either the honor of God or his greatness. Now the Lord Jesus, before raising Lazarus from the dead, says that the Lazarus date is for God's glory, as we read in John chapter 11, verse 4. John chapter 11, verse 4. And once you get chapter 11, I'm going to pick up another verse from that chapter 11. John chapter 11, verse 4. It is, when he had this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now, God's glory in this verse of John 11, refers to His power. In effect, Jesus said that the death of Lazarus is to reveal the power of God or how powerful God is. So glory here has to do with power. Now this interpretation of course is supported by what the Lord Jesus said later after he brought back Lazarus from the dead in St. John 11 look at verse 40. Look at verse 40. Verse 40 reads Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Now the glory of God that the disciples saw was a power of God demonstrated in raising Lazarus from the dead. Another context in which glory has the meaning of power is when Apostle Paul mentioned the means of resurrection of Jesus Christ in Romans chapter 6, verse 4. Romans chapter 6, verse 4. It reads, We were therefore buried with him, Through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. See, certainly the phrase, the glory of the Father refers to the power of the Father, because of resurrection. Now, during the stoning of Stephen to death, it was reported that he saw the glory of God. As we read in Acts, chapter 7, verse 55. Acts, chapter 7, verse 55. He reads, By Stephen full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Here the phrase glory of God refers to brightness, brightness from the presence of God since Stephen saw something and also Jesus, but not the other two members of the Godhead. Now Apostle Paul used the phrase Glory of God severally. Now in describing the fallen state of humankind, he used the phrase in Romans three verse twenty-three. Romans three verse twenty-three. And hold on to Romans. Romans chapter three verse twenty three. It is all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, the phrase glory of God here refers to the likeness or image of God that each person is intended to bear, but which was lost because of sin. Of course, it's also possible that the phrase could refer to God's saving presence. As some, of course, interpret it. Apostle Paul, in describing the present state of believers and what they confidently expect in the future, use a phrase in Romans chapter 5 verse 2. Romans chapter 5 verse 2. It is through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now the phrase "The glory of God here refers to attribute of God, or divine qualities and attributes of God that the believer ultimately hopes to share. In eternal state. Now in explaining the reason a man should not cover his head during worship, Apostle Paul used the phrase that we are considering in a passage we are going to study, if the Lord says so, in, uh, I don't know, it will be, be a while, but we we'll get to it in First Corinthians 11 verse 7. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 7. It is, a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and the glory of God. But the woman is the glory of man. Now the phrase glory of God here really means the reflection of the nature of God. Now the apostle, in amplifying God's faithfulness, used the phrase, glory of God, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. 2 Corinthians. Second Corinthians 1, verse 20, and hold it, I'm going to... The 2nd Corinthians for two more passages. It is, 2nd Corinthians 1 verse 20 reads, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are, yes, in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now the phrase glory of God here refers to God being honored. And the apostle, in providing the reason for him and others not preaching themselves, but Christ, use the same phrase in Second Corinthians chapter four, verse six. Second Corinthians chapter four verse six. Second Corinthians chapter four verse six and Hold on to that, chapter 2. It is, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness. May his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Here the phrase, The glory of God has the meaning of brightness of God. Brightness of God. The apostle used the phrase when uh, when we're considering the phrase we're considering in the context of thanksgiving. In the same 2nd Corinthians chapter 4, look at verse 15. Look at verse 15. It says, And this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Now, the phrase glory of God here refers to the praise of God. Now, it is In the same sense of praise of God The Apostle Paul used the phrase In Philippians chapter 2 Verse 11 Philippians Philippians chapter 2 Verse 11 It is Philippians 2 verse 11 reads And every Confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, not also to the praise of God the Father. Now, the phrase is also used in the description of the heavenly temple and the worship going there, oh, as we can get up from Revelation chapter 15, verse 8. Revelation. Chapter fifteen, verse eight. Revelation fifteen, verse eight. Greece, and the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from His power, and no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. Now, in this passage, the phrase, the glory of God, refers to the visible manifestation of God's presence in form of brilliant light. So, our consideration of the phrase, glory of God, as used in the scripture, indicates that the meaning is context-dependent. Now, thus, in our passage of 1 Corinthians uh, uh, 10, the phrase glory of God refers to the praise or honor that characterizes God or the honor or praise that belongs to God. In other words, while I'm saying that phrase, the glory of God refers to uh, the praise or honor that characterizes God or the honor or praise that belongs to Him. Now this interpretation, notwithstanding, we should recognize that because of the range of meanings of the phrase that in some applications the phrase may then refer to God's greatness or to God's power. Now this qualification then Helps us to apply correctly the instruction of 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31 that we've been studying. It says, So, whatever you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Anyway, so with the answer to what the glory of God means in our passage of study, with the answer that the sentence Whatever you do is concerned with what a person can undertake or produce or carry out. And with a summary of the general activities involved in the word whatever. We are now ready to examine the actual responsibility the qualities will put on us as believers in Christ. The actual responsibility... In 1 Corinthians 10 verse 31 It says It's really in the command Do it all for the glory Of God Do it all for the glory Of God Now many of us Christians Quote this instruction But many they may not grasp What it, it is that we are quoting Or how to apply it Thus it is our Intention that by the end of this study, you will not only underst- uh, not only understand what uh, the quotes or what you quote in, but how it is put in practice. Now so to understand and correctly apply the command demands, understanding two prerequisites of the instruction. There are two prerequisites of this instruction that you must understand. If you are ever going to uh, obey this instruction here. A first prerequisite of the instruction, is, uh, do it all for the glory of God, is possession of a mindset with the sole aim of honoring God, either in form of receiving praise or in the form of acknowledgement of his character, specifically, but not limited to his power and goodness. We say that the believer must possess a mindset of honoring God because of the word for, the instruction, we say, do it all for the glory of God. Now the word is really translated, uh, the word for, it is translated from, a Greek preposition with a range of usages. But in the command that we're examining, it is used as a marker of goal or aim. The implication is that a believer should be occupied with this one goal of ensuring that in every activity, The person gets involved that God should be praised or honored. Now this honoring of God or praise, as we have implied, should involve acknowledging the character of God or His goodness. So, if you are going to obey this instruction, you must have your thought process rearranged So that your aim in life And in all your activity Is praising God Or acknowledging His character That's the first prerequisite You must have in your mind That has to be a goal That everything I do I'm thinking about How does this praise God Or how does this show His character Or how does this reveal His honor A second prerequisite To understand, and uh, correctly apply the the passage we're looking at, uh, the instruction, do it all for the glory of God, uh, it's really related to the first one, it's really a formation of habit. A formation of habit of seeking to carry out every activity to bring praise to God. Every activity to bring praise to God. That's what you have to do. You must have that develop that habit. That's whatever you do, that's what you're trying to do. Now a habit, of course, begins with one action that is then repeated several times. Does to obey the instruction do it all for the glory of God, you must begin with a determination that you are going to do what is required again and again until it becomes a habit. Now this requirement is because the command do is in the present tense in the Greek. Now the present tense used in our command has the sense of continuing something or simply to make something a habit. Thus, you should form the habit that whatever you do is intended To bring praise to God Or to reveal his character Now the determination To do everything to bring praise to God Demands that the believer Should be occupied with Christ Through occupation with the word of God Now this occupation With the word of God Is what enables a believer to know That what the individual does Is in keeping With God's word. It is because we need our souls to be saturated with God's word. That we have the command of Colossians chapter 3 verse 16. Colossians chapter 3 verse 16. Colossians chapter 3 verse 16. I'll hold on to that because I pick up the next verse too. Colossians chapter 3 verse 16 Colossians chapter 3 verse 16 reads Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly As you teach and admonish one another With all wisdom And as you sing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your heart to God now it is only as the word of God keeps residing in a person's soul would the individual be mindful of God in every aspect of the person's life by the way it is as a believer has the word of God in the soul That the person can fulfill an instruction that is similar to the one that we're considering given, look at verse 17. Look at verse 17 of Colossians 3. Look at verse 17. Reads And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father. Through him. So, a person who meets the two prerequisites. What they are again, you say. What are they? Well, again, they are a life goal of honoring God. A life goal. That's a a goal. A life. You must have that. That you want to honor God. Until that is, I mean, until that sinks. In your soul, you cannot do this. You must have that in your soul. That I am here. Not for me. I am here for his glory. That's the first part. And the other one, of course, is the formation. Of doing what the commands that we are considering states. And when you do that, when you have these two prerequisites as part of you, then you'll be ready to obey the command. So, let us then illustrate how this works out with the two major categories of activities we, ma- we mentioned. Now, words, you know, I spent some time dealing with categories of activities, both physical and spiritual. Now that we have gone through that and seen what is involved in uh, doing everything to the glory of God, now let's go back to some of this and apply so you can see what we're dealing with how it works out now we illustrated I mean we, we illustrate the application of the command by considering first physical activities carried out in the home that include not limited to, but include cleaning preparing food and every activity that is necessary to make living in a home comfortable or enjoyable. So we we'll take that. So the believer who has such tasks should begin with a mindset to praise God. That's where it begins, the mindset. Because that's why it's a prerequisite. You have that mindset to praise God. Now, quickly, then, the person will ask. What it, what it really will mean for God to be praised because of these activities? Now, in the two activities of cleaning and preparing food, praising God will take the form of offering thanks to God and recognition of something about God's character. In effect, the person. Involved in these two activities, will be thinking of how to carry out these activities so that those who benefit will thank God and observe God's goodness in what the individual does. Now so I'm then with this kind of understanding that whatever I'm doing, I have to see how that plays out. In terms of how will people look at what I'm doing And praise God uh, Show God something about God So i with this kind of uh, understanding The person there who cleans Or cooks Will want to do The person's best So that Others who see the individual's effort Will not only Recognize what A great thing The person has done In cleaning or cooking but also to be able to thank God for both activities that benefit the recipients. Indeed, the person who carries these activities will be concerned that God approves what the individual does. In that way, God receives the honor due him. Take another example of doing marriage. Remember when I talked about doing marriage? Now, a believer whose aim is to bring praise to God, does marriage with a mindset that asks a question, does how I treat my spouse lead to God being praised for the concept of marriage that he instituted? That's what I said. You ask that question. I'm treating my spouse. Is it going to cause people to praise the concept of marriage? Now you know there are a lot of times people look at that and say, If that's marriage, I don't want any part of it. Horrible. If you are the one they are looking at. Because you are fake completely as a believer. That's what I'm saying. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. So in other words really, a person who is concerned with God being praised will endeavor to carry out his or her marriage responsibilities in such a way that the other spouse will be able to thank God for the concept of marriage that put the two people together. That's what I'm saying. The concept of marriage is from God. In effect, if your spouse cannot thank God for the concept of marriage that puts both of you together, or that then you, you can say that you are not doing marriage. In other words, all I'm saying is, if your spouse cannot thank God for the concept of of marriage, then you are not doing your marriage to the glory of God. Now, this is one of those things that I have said that many times in in our studies, and that is this. If you are a believing man or woman, the first witness to you is the one who lives with you 24-7 your wife, your husband. That's the first witness. If they can't say anything good about marriage because of you, you are not doing marriage. You're not doing it. You're doing something, but you're not doing marriage. Now, the other is your children. If they cannot look at you, both of you, and praise God for that concept, you're also not doing marriage. Anyway, so what I'm saying is, if you do your marriage to praise God, then your spouse will see the goodness of what God has done in your life as it reflects in the marriage relationship. I, mean, I, I like to be practical. You can, can fake it. And this is one of those things I, I know a whole lot of people are fakers. When it comes to marriage, hey, you know what I tell you, see them on the outside, they hold hands. Uh, yeah. Who are you impressing? Once they close that door, the gloves are off and they start fighting. You're kidding, your sense, But what we're talking about is your spouse must be able to say Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this man you've given me. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this woman you have given me. Can your husband say that about you? Can your wife say that about you? That's the issue. See, that's what I'm talking about, doing marriage. I'm not saying living together like, you know, two perfect strangers, as they say, use the term. I'm not talking about that. I'm not even talking about tolerating each other. I'm not talking about that. If all you do is to tolerate, you're not doing marriage. I'm saying that here, according to what we're studying, it must be that your spouse will thank God for you because of what they see in that marriage. Then, at that point, you're doing marriage. So what I'm saying really is, in a sense, is captured by the expected reaction of an unbelieving spouse that is impressed by a believing spouse. To lead to the unbelieving spouse wanting to be saved or to the, the person actually being saved, similar to what is recorded using the wife as an illustration in First Peter chapter three, verse one First Peter chapter three. Verse 1. Now, of course, you know, I'm, I don't sugarcoat it. So, what I'm teaching here, what I'm saying, should be so prevalent in this, in married people in this congregation. It should be so prevalent. In other words, I'm saying, really, if you have been here for some time, the, all I've taught here should be applicable to you. And if it's not, You're probably just sitting here warming the seat, but you're not hearing anything. Look at what it says "Your Wives, in the same way, be submissive to their husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. That signifies what I'm talking about. They're looking at you. You don't have to say a word. You don't have to say... Honey, I love you. You don't have to say that. Chew it. That's what I'm saying. Because that's more important than, you know, blasting out some words in the air. Show it. So anyway, I have illustrated though using activities done in the home. So let me illustrate. Using activity done outside home, such as in a workplace. So a believer whose goal is to bring praise to God and who has formed the habit to do so will ask of how the individual will bring praise to God or acknowledgement of God through the person's walk. The answer will be to carry out the individual's walk So that the person's attitude will reflect that the individual is a believer in Christ. Consequently, the person will do his or her best to ensure that whatever work the individual does will be admired by others who will then learn that it is because of the individual's faith that the person is. A hard and careful worker. So if a person avoids bringing any shame to the Christian faith, then the individual has performed in a way that will bring praise to God. In other words, you are not one of those sly people at work. If You find a way to, you know, many things and just do instead of doing the right thing. You know that kind of person. You know that kind of person that just cut in corners. You want to do right, the right way, because you know you want to reflect the character of God. So that's what I mean that they will look at you and see what you're doing. So if a person brings attention to what Magnificent thing the person is doing because of faith, then you praise praising God. It's similar though to what the Holy Spirit said through the Apostle Paul to Titus regarding the conduct of slaves in, in serving their masters. In Titus chapter 2 verses 9 through 10, Titus. Titus, chapter 2, verses 9 through 10. It is, teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything. To try to please them, not to talk back to them. And not to steal from them, and when I read such passage when I'm studying, I say, "How, oh, how many Christians actually think about that? Because in their mind, I'm not stealing their money, but he said, not to steal from them. How can you do that today? Because if you're an employee, an employee of an employer, that's a kind of master slave relationship. So how do you steal from that person well you're supposed to be working. You're texting. Whose time are you using? Think about it. Whose time are you using? You're especially if you pay by an hour. Whose time are you using? So you walk six hours a day. They pay you eight hours a day. So whose time have you used? Yes to do whatever it is that you did That's not authorized by your walk So when you do that You're stealing from them Whoever they might happen to be You know see what I say is As long as people don't expand the Bible We all walk around here Think we are such a great wonderful Christians But when the word is expounded correctly You see how we all Fall short of God's uh, Glory and his requirement Of us Anyway he says But to show that they can be fully trusted. So that in every way, they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. When we make teaching of the, of the Word of God attractive, that means we have drawn praise to Him. You make it attractive so people can see you. And if i said it many times. People will say, hmm, this will go all the time to church. But I don't see any difference. In that way, you're really bringing shame to the uh, name of Christ. But it's because you are applying what you are learning, and people can look at you as man, uh, something about you is contagious. Somebody! Then, that's what you're doing. Then you are doing what we are studying here. You're doing all for the glory of God. So that's the issue. So, a believer with a mindset of bringing praise to the Lord will work hard to avoid anything said of the person that will dishonor the Christian faith now we have used illustrations from physical activities let me or let us turn to spiritual activities so we can uh, also demonstrate how that command do it all For the glory of God will be applied Take the example Of studying The word of God Through attendance To the local church Where the word of God is taught A believer Who has The aim Of praising God In that activity Of studying the word Will ask the question of how the individual will do that, which is getting the word that will bring great, uh, praise to God. How will he do that? Now, the answer, of course, is the person will arrive uh, by asking this question is really to attain in such a way that people will recognize the person's consistency and thank God. For the individual. In addition. The person will. Recognize. That if the individual. Applies the truth. land, That others will be thankful. To God for such. An individual. Now I I have to admit. I enjoy. Things most of you don't enjoy in a sense. Because I interact with. Most of you in different ways. So, some of you tell me wonderful things God does for you. I praise my, I'm I'm delighted to hear them. Right? Not everyone does that, but just I'm telling you, it can be a delight when you hear that, if you understand what it's all about praising God. Anyway, so if a person is that faithful, in attendance, that's one, but the other part of it is being faithful in application. You hear? That's one part. Yep. You haven't finished yet until you apply it. So this will be very similar then to the various occasions Apostle Paul thanked God for the faithfulness of believers as we read, for example, in Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. 2 Thessalonians, chapter 1, verse 3. He reads, We ought always to thank God for you, brothers. And rightly so. Look at the reason. He says that. Because your faith is growing more and more. And the love every one of you has for each other is increasing. I have explained that when we studied this, that book in detail, love does not increase in that sense. So it is a, something from the Holy Spirit. What it he means here is your demonstration of love is increasing. The way you demonstrate, it, people can see it more and more. And when you do that, that's what Paul was thanking God for. Take another example, that of giving. A believer with the aim of giving in such a way to bring praise to God, will do so in such a way that others will thank God for the person's generosity as Apostle Paul implied in what he said to the Corinthians in Second Corinthians chapter 9 verse 13 Second Corinthians chapter 9 verse 13 He reads, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 13 reads, Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone. So, see, if, you're, if you show your generosity towards people... There's a way they praise God. They thank God for you. And for whatever you did. Now a person who is concerned though. With the praise of God for generosity. Is very careful though. To be secretive as possible. Secretive as possible. In the, um, I mean in the individuals given. In keeping with what the Lord taught. In Matthew chapter 6. Verses three and four, Matthew chapter six, verses three and four. Matthew chapter six, verses three and four reads, "But when you give to the needy," Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That's another word. Just being as private as you can. So that your giving may be in secret. Then your father. Who sees what is done in secret. Will reward you. So then. We have illustrated how the command. Do it all for the glory of God should be carried out. So you should be able to obey it following our illustration. Now, obeying this command, as we have stated, requires that you have a mindset that you want to bring praise to God in whatever you do. Now, this then requires that a believer constantly ask the question as to how, and or how, what he or she is about to do will cause others to praise God or recognize the goodness of God. That's what you should be concerned with, asking yourself. So anyway, let me end by reminding you that the third reason then, a believer should not use personal freedom in situations where there is a challenge to the Christian faith, is that God's glory supersedes any human Freedom. That's what we actually began with, and that's what we end with. So you go home today, hopefully, you can begin to see and check yourself whether you do everything that you do for the glory of God. Let's pray. As we end our study this morning, there may be someone here or someone listening over the internet who want you to know that God loves you. That love is demonstrated. When a movement began in heaven towards the earth, that movement was God's glory to be manifested. First, by Him sending His Son Jesus Christ, who moved from heaven to earth, lived among us, yet without sin because He's God, man, capable of sin. But He endured every sin, every contradiction. Every abuse heaped upon him. Because he loved you so much. He didn't want you to go to hell. So he was going to offer a sacrifice for your sins. No matter how horrible your sins have been. They have already been placed on Jesus Christ on the cross. And he died for them. He loves you so much. That he was able to take that. So that you don't go to hell. Now so this his love you can see it. Because when they came to arrest him, he have said, "You can arrest me." Because when he came to arrest him, asked, "Who are you looking for?" They said, "Jesus of Nazareth." He said, "I am," and they hit the ground. But he gave them permission, so they arrested him. That love, he, showed, he also showed it on the cross when those people were making fun of him, and he said, "Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing." We don't know what we're doing. That's what he's saying. He's still a forgiving God. So when He actually died on that cross, He paid for our sins. That's why when He finished paying for my sins and your sins, He said, It is finished. Everything's complete now. So no one should go to hell if they trust in Christ. Anyone who goes to hell is because they didn't believe in Christ. So if you want to escape the horrible place called hell, that the human mind cannot even imagine yet, then the only way to escape it is if you trust that Jesus Christ came to this planet, went to the cross and died for your sins, was buried and was raised the third day. It doesn't matter how awful you have been. It doesn't matter how you have sinned. You will be forgiven. You will be given a clean slate. So trust in Him, believe in Him, and you will have eternal life. That's why the Bible tells us, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. What are you going to believe again? The Bible says, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Believing in Him, you have life through His sins. If you believe in Him, you will have an eternal life. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the study of Your Word. We pray that God, the Holy Spirit, will challenge us to know and to develop the habit of wanting to praise You in all we do. So that we can obey that instruction that whatever we do, that we should do it to your own glory. Because your glory supersedes everything on this planet. This is our request in Christ's name. Amen.